Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Marketing Geeks podcast. I am your host, Justin Womack, and this week I will be pulling solo duty uh, because Andre Sturgeon is unavailable for the week. Uh, he will return. He will be back. So stay tuned to hear more from him. Uh, this week, I've got a very special episode for you. We're going to be joined by Lauren Crest, the business scientist. And I'm not going to waste any time. We're just going to get the episode rolling and getting started here. So welcome to Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. Uh, before I get into the interview with Lauren this week, I just want to take a brief moment to thank our sponsors of the show. So... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My thanks to all the sponsors this week. And now let's just get into it. Why waste any more time? So uh, here is my interview with Lauren Cress, a business consultant, a marketing consultant out of Australia. You're going to get a ton of value out of this. Um, I'm going to go and play the interview and you will hear her full introduction in the interview. So without any further ado, Lauren Cress. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing Geeks. Uh, my co-host, Andra Sturgeon, is not available this week, but you have me instead. So get excited because it's even better. Uh, this week, I am joined by the wonderful Lauren Kress. Uh, and Lauren, I, I originally was on your show, so I got, to, I got to know you a little bit ahead of time. But uh, for those of you that don't know, Lauren, uh, first of all, you're based out of Australia. What part of Australia, Lauren? Uh, I'm from Wollongong. So it's like an hour and a half south of Sydney. Okay, so an hour and a half south of Sydney. That's about the... I think for most people that don't know Australia, we all know Sydney. That's about it. <laughs> so, that's a, good, a good mile marker, a milestone. Um, but Lauren is the business scientist. I like that title, by the way. Uh, and okay. you're the CEO of the Changemakers Collective, which helps health and wealth brands prepare for the future. So um, I know that's a brief... I'm giving you the brief bio. So why don't you introduce yourself to our to our listeners here and... Uh, I love the lab coat, by the way. And they, you know, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can't see it, but she has the pink lab coat on. Uh, and one of the things that we discovered last time I interviewed you was that we both actually majored in neuroscience in college. And now we're both kind of doing like business podcasts, which is kind of random, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, for our listeners and then tell me a little bit about the about the lab code and that backstory. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Justin. So, um, look, it's, I actually find it really hard to sum up my background because I've done so many things. And sometimes I find I do this thing where I'm like, oh, well, my background's in marketing or my background's in project management or my background's in science. And people are like, how many backgrounds can you have? Um, I'm <laughs> like, I guess... Lived? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I guess that's kind of what I love about running my own business is that, um, you know, I get to work in a really dynamic way and uh, pull all these different kind of um, skill sets together. So yeah, like you said, I studied um, neuroscience, studied psychology um, at university, we call it here in Australia. And, um, and I guess like, I think I told you in our, in our conversation uh, on my, my podcast was like, I kind of started off in psychology and I actually found it like a little bit wishy-washy, you know, a little bit like unscientific. So I was like, oh, I'll do neuroscience. And then I did neuroscience. I was like, oh, this is like so divorced from reality. Like we're just, you know, doing all these experiments in the lab and it has nothing to do with the real world. Um, And I kind of, I was this super like angsty university student. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Like I have no idea. Um, So I I kind of got, you know, I finished. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, I've made a big mistake by doing such a like theoretical degree. Um, And then I, you know, I kind of, I'd been reading a lot of like science blogs and a lot of, I've been doing a bit of blogging and I was like, Oh, I really like this whole like web development thing. And, you know, I really liked storytelling. Mm. Um, and so I was like, maybe I'll try to get a job in like marketing and communications. Cause you know, that kind of feels like, you know, sort of relevant, especially if I can get it in like the healthcare space. So I started working with like pharmaceutical companies doing marketing and communication Um, and yeah, for, I guess, basically most of my twenties, I was doing that. Um, so I ended up working in media and health care communications. And then, um, I feel like this is a really long story. Sorry. (laughs) No, but I mean, I'll stop you for a second here because, um, it's funny because I, I originally, when I went to college, I was going, uh, I decided I was going to become like an electrical engineer or uh, some form of engineering. And the only reason I wanted to do that was because like, to me, it sounded smart. And it was like, I'm like, I always want to do something really difficult. Cause I think, you know, anytime I apply for a job in the future, they're going to be like, Oh, this guy studied engineering. He must be smart. And I'll, you know, we'll hire this guy. Um, <laughs> but like partway through it, I just I was totally disconnected and just not, not really, uh, not really into it. I didn't really enjoy like high level math, like getting into the higher levels of calculus. Like none of that really like clicked with me. So then uh, I had taken all these classes and I, I'd always been interested in psychology. So I, I was taking psychology classes as electives essentially in the beginning. Um, so then I decided, well, since I've already taken like chemistry, I've already taken physics, I've already taken all this, like I might as well apply that towards something uh, like biopsychology, which they call it here in the, in the States, um, neuroscience, biopsychology. And so I got into, I got into it that way. Um, but, but I agree with you when we talked about this before, but like psychology itself is very (laughs) wishy-washy. All observational studies, I mean, the, the biggest, the, the thing I like to always say is if you go, go pick up a copy of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Ma- uh, Mental Disorder something, <laughs> Manual for Mental Disorders, there it is. Um, it's because you look through that and I mean, like some of the, some of the, uh, the mental disorders in there are, are like, first of all, you scratch your head, like, is this really a mental disorder? And then the other ones you start looking through and we talked about this, how like you start self-diagnosing yourself. 
And it's mm-hmm. easy to think like, oh my God, I have this, I have that. Uh, oh my, well, I'm in a lot of trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it was, it was a weird kind of experience, but it, it like, like you, I, I had a, I have a very wide array of, of the background, like where I, I worked, I, I did the biopsychology. I worked in corporate America insurance for a while. I worked on movie sets for a while. <laughs> I worked like, you name it, I did it for at least a week or two. I was an IT person for a while. And then ultimately, I found my calling in, in marketing and you know, copywriting and, and now getting into more like content production, podcasting and blogging. And, and this is the stuff that I like. So uh, like for you, tell me a little bit. Yeah, I want to hear more about your journey. And I, I don't mean to cut you off <laughs> telling you, but I just wanted to kind of, kind of just tell you a little bit about like how our stories are, are similar in, a few, <laughs> in some ways. And uh, tell me more about your journey. It, you know what? I, I, it's so nice to meet people and speak with people who've done, had that similar kind of like, you know, I went off on this tangent and this yeah. tangent. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's great for people to hear as well, because I imagine there's a lot of people listening to this who maybe feel a little bit lost, you know, they're kind of like, well, what do I do next? And, and how do I kind of navigate this next step in my life? And I think when you look back on it, it's, it's really different. You go like, oh yeah, of course, all those things connected up. <laughs> but when you're on that journey, you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Why am I doing, you know, I did the same thing. I was doing video production for a while. Um, I ended up uh, producing a few things, which I still do now on the side. Like, um, and I think for me that the biggest thing that's always guided me is just like, well, do I love doing this? And uh, fortunately for me, I'm interested in lots of things. So most of the time I can find a way to kind of enjoy what I'm doing. You know. Yeah, no, I, I'm a very curious person by nature as well. I mean, I even ever since I graduated from um, from university, like you call it, no, <laughs> from college, <laughs> uh, I've I've gone back and taken I take courses like almost every year at the local junior colleges around here. So I just and I take them for fun. I don't. There's no and I just that's what I do. I take college courses for fun, which is weird for a lot of people. So like when I hear people complaining that they don't have time to like get their college degree, I, I probably have like, if I, if I applied for them, I'd probably get like 30 associates degrees. And like times I have, I have like approaching probably like a thousand credits of college credit and, and it's, I, I have all these. And I just, that's what I do for fun. I'm weird, but you know, what's good about being in college and at least in America is you get, there's all kinds of discounts. So as a, as you have an active student email address, you can get tons of discounts on all these different marketing softwares and things like that. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Kind of pays for itself plus tax benefits and all that. Um, but back to you again, I want, I want to hear. So when did the, when did you adopt the moniker, the, uh, the, the business scientist? Like when did that all come into play? And like, what's the, what's the genesis of that? And so tell me a bit about like, yeah, I want to know about the backstory of your personal brand. Cause that's like yeah. your brand now, right? You're the business scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So tell me about so, that. Cause we're talking marketing here. So I want to hear about like the genesis of your personal brand. All right. So, um, this, it's actually relatively new. So at the beginning of the year, I was kind of looking at, so I've run my own business for nearly three years and I was having a think about like, what do I, you know, what do I really do and how do I do it differently? And I started working with a, uh, a media coach over in Perth, so the other side of the country. And, um, and I started doing a lot more interviews like this, I guess. So, um, I've spoken, you know, on uh, podcasts and radio shows around the country. I've also spoken um, with people in the US like yourself. And as I started talking, I realized that, you know, I'd do a debrief with my hosts afterwards or um, with my coach as well. And 
I was like, oh, like everyone seems to really like this whole science angle because I'd, I'd jump on a show and I'd be like, well, look, like there's not evidence to really support what you're saying. And um, it was one of the big issues that I had with working in media as well. Like so much of the time, like, you know, and, and more and more people are becoming aware of the fake news thing. But it's just like these stories just take over any sort of rational thought that we have about any given topic, right? So that was something that just really bugged me and it's always bugged me and it's always been a part of what drew me to science and rational thought. Um, And so I kind of, I was like, oh, a lot of people are really appreciating this kind of perspective where it's like, well, hang on, let's actually look at the data. Let's look at, you know, what we know and what we don't know and let's not be guided by our unconscious biases. Let's not be guided by our cognitive biases. Well, I um, love that. And let's cite, <laughs> let's cite our sources while we're at it, because how many people out there are throwing out these stats without, like, without ever citing the sources of where they're coming from too? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, look, sometimes it's hard. Like I've definitely been guilty of being like, well, look, the research shows um, I've, I've done that before because I'm like, I can't remember, you know, who wrote it, someone, someone at all in 2014. Um, but at least giving people enough information so they can go and find it themselves. Yep. Um, it's something that, you know, you see this in marketing a lot as well, where people talk about their, their product or their service. Like it's, you know, the first of its kind that, you know, it, it was this original idea that came from nowhere. <laughs> and it's like, no, like you would have studied your competitors really carefully. You would have looked at, you would have read all the books about what's going on, um, you know, and then you would have gone, okay, well, based on that, this is a story we need to tell to our audience. So, um, yeah, so anyway, I basically, at the beginning of the year, I was kind of like, oh, this whole like, you know, science angle seems to be, you know, taking off. And I'd been reading a lot in marketing science, which is an area I'm really interested in. So, um, my favorite kind of, there's two books that are written by um, Professor Byron Sharp, who's from Adelaide in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, he's pretty well known. You might've heard of him as well. Um, um, Mar- what's up for a second there? Because marketing science, is that now, I've not really heard that term too much. So marketing science, is that just referring to like the study of data then and analytics? I mean, that's what I would assume. Uh, but tell me, what, is the, what does that mean? Do you know what? It's more of like a... Um, it's more of like the academic side of marketing. So, you know, there's people who branched off from psychology and economics yeah. and they're looking at like consumer behavior. Um, they're looking at trends in the economy. So for instance, like, you know, we live in an economy where we're getting closer and closer to being able to tell people our absolute value, you know, so people can go and read reviews and they can go and, you know, look at what we're doing um, in a way that they couldn't do 10, 20 years ago. Um, so marketing science, I guess it's more about data from around the world rather than just looking at your own business data and going, how do brands grow? You know, how do consumers behave? Um, you know, what's going on with customer loyalty? How does that happen? Uh, you know, what's the most important things for market penetration, but studying that in a scientific way. So just like we would do it. So, I mean, to me, I see it as a branch of psychology, really, um, and it can be a bit wishy-washy sometimes as well. <laughs> All traditional, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I kind of had, you know, marketing science is a term that sort of coined very much in Australia and um, I think also in the UK I've seen it used quite a bit. Um, but I was like, oh, I don't really want to say marketing science because it's not just marketing that I do in my business. Um, a big part of what I do is sort of in consulting and project management 
and um, coming at things from just a different angle. So, you know, out of the box thinking really. Um, And so, yeah, basically from there I was like, well, like I looked up business science a few times because I was like, you know, are, are people using this term? And there are actually a few um, universities, I think there's a few in South Africa um, that are using that term as like, it's a degree. So you do a degree in business science. But I've heard like the science of business. I've heard that term a lot. I think I've heard, but like business science as a subject, I haven't heard as much. And the business scientist, wow, are you the first business scientist or did you find that there were a few other ones out there too? Or <laughs> <laughs> do you know what sometimes I like try not to look because I'm like oh yeah. now, I, now I just say like I'm copying someone <laughs> funny. no every now and then I, I feel like I have this amazing creative idea and then I type it into Google and I'm like I get deflated it's like oh eight people came up with that already <laughs> I, I feel like that's almost part of like our um, entrepreneurial nature is you know what drives us so much is doing something innovative and new and exciting and it is really important we look at, you know, competitors and we yeah. do gap analysis and things like that. But um, I think sometimes you're kind of like, oh, I just really like this phrase or this hook and I don't want to think that anyone else is using it, you know. And it turns out like it's a huge thing somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so the science of business is definitely, um, is, is I've heard it as well. And, and Google's actually doing a big push at the moment with, unconscious biases as well. So they're running, uh, well, they're actually facilitating workshops like around the world to really make people more aware of just how much our biases are making, uh, sort of making these decisions for us without our even realizing. And they can be, you know, it's sort of like, I say it's like building um, a house on sand, you know, you've got no foundation for those decisions. And so everything from there is kind of just purely assumption-based. Well, and, and I mean, if you think about like in terms of social media, um, everybody is put into their own little echo chambers too. So if you have unconscious biases, you're likely going to be fed other people with similar biases in your in your social media feeds too and things like that. So it all kind of compounds on itself <laughs> and these things grow. And uh, and and so, you know, I, I, I make an effort to... Like it was just something I've adopted from a, from early on in my life. I like to look at different sources. Like I, I don't like to just rely on one source for anything. I like to look at. I, I mean, I like to like have the descending. I like to always see the descending opinion on something. So I kind of have a. I kind of have it from both angles, and then I can kind of make a more educated decision on whether it's a whether it's a business thing or for anything. I like to have both sides of uh, of an issue, and I think that that kind of comes from like a science, more of a scientific approach to matters. Like just kind of, you know, okay, I want to, now that I have a hypothesis here, let's try to prove it wrong kind of thing. That's like the kind of approach that I take. Um, so is, is that, I mean, do you, do you relate to that? I mean, what I'm, what I'm saying here, am I, am I going crazy on some weird tangent right now or what? <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. It's actually um, one of the things I say to people is I'm like, you know how entrepreneurs and um business leaders really talk a lot about failure as being so important, right? They yeah. go like, oh, fa- failure is so important. I need to fail before I succeed. And I'm like, yeah, in science, we, we just call it an experiment instead. We don't call it failure. We call it running an experiment and seeing what happens. I'm like, how our biggest tool that we use in science is failure. What we're doing is we're going, all right, we think this is a case. Now let's prod it from every angle we possibly can to see if we can break it or if it's still there. And, um, I think someone who's really popularized that um, is Jordan Peterson, where he kind of talks about like, you know, you have something 
And he goes like, I've had these ideas for a long period of time. And then I've spent years and years and years going, can I, is this something that I can break? Or is this something that is still true after we've tried to break it from every angle? So um, absolutely. And I think, you know, sometimes when we hear the word science, I feel like it can also be a bit intimidating. Like when you say math, Mm -hmm. you know, so you get that like flashback to like high school and you're like, Oh, my chemistry teacher. And then like the Bunsen burner lit up something or like, you know, we have this kind of idea. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But like, I, I think that's the image we can often have, especially, um, for, you know, most people who haven't, studied science beyond a sort of a secondary level, you know, a secondary education yeah. level. Um, but really all it is, is it's just a method of, me- I hate that word, <laughs> methodical way <laughs> of, of getting to the bottom of things. And, um, and that's so important for business because, you know, I was using this example recently, but, you know, if you kind of have, say, I've been in so many meetings like this, you know, when I was in the corporate world where, you know, you're sitting down and, and someone goes like, ah, oh, like our sales aren't doing as well as they were doing before. You know, you know, we, we need to be pushing our sales stuff more. We need to be selling more. We need to be out there selling. More. I was like, well, like, do you even know what the problem is yet? Because like, there's so many ways that that problem could actually be occurring. So yeah. it might be, it might be that your sales staff are feeling unmotivated. It might be that someone, a p- person in the sales team has changed. It might be completely normal that your sales are down. And if you look at it year on year in that particular time of the year, it's actually normal. We're talking um, like correlation versus causation type of stuff here. I always think of like the, uh, during people eat more ice cream during summer or something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. And um, there's been some great books published in that space, like um, Black Swan. I can't remember who that's by. Um, And I'm a really big fan of, and sorry, I know I'm going off on philosophy and science tangents, but um, uh, David Hume was really the philosopher who kind of like basically turned around and said, just because one, just because something ought to be a certain way doesn't mean that's necessarily the case. And just because you've seen one thing happen after the other, it doesn't mean that this caused that. Um, Which is a a major fallacy that people make though. Like, um, because yeah, I think that's one of the most common mistakes in science and probably in business too, that people tend to associate correlation to causation, meaning that you see two things happen simultaneously. So you naturally assume that the cause A caused B when in reality, there was some confounding variable somewhere else that totally influenced the entire thing that you didn't even see. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And it happens in marketing all the time where we go, oh, okay, we ran this marketing campaign and then we had a you know, boost in our sales. Therefore, the marketing campaign is the reason why we grew our business or why our sales are better. But it's like, well, what you actually really need to look at is best practice and empirical evidence. So this is where the marketing science comes in, right? So say for instance, you know, we think, oh, well, what does, you know, brand awareness have to do with growth? You know, because we don't like see, this just doesn't happen, right? We, we don't see data where, you know, you run a bunch of ads on TV and then all of a sudden, you know, say, say we're talking about a big company like McDonald's. So like McDonald's runs a bunch of ads on TV and then they go, oh, look, we sold heaps more Big Macs. They might have that happen 
if they've done a promotion for Big Mac. So if they've said, oh, okay, we're doing $1 deals for the next two weeks when you buy an ice cream, they might see more uptake then, right? But for general brand awareness stuff, like sponsoring something or just being present. Think of like Coca-Cola, especially here in the States. So, Right, right. So, you know, Coca-Cola and McDonald's are both great examples where it's like, it's not that they're going, oh, we sponsored an event and suddenly we got more sales or we, you know, we had this brand awareness activity and then we saw a, a peak in our sales. What it is, is that we have evidence of the other way. So if you stop doing that, if you, and there's heaps of businesses that have done this, but it's like, if you stop being out in market, if you stop market penetration over time, like a long period of time, you're going to start to see a decline. You actually have to maintain that market penetration. But what a lot of people think is like, oh, well, you know, it's sort of like I use the example of like smoking. So, you know, people go like, oh, well, I smoke today and I don't have lung cancer the next day. Therefore, smoking doesn't cause lung cancer. It's like, no, that takes years and years and years and years to happen, but it still happens. Um, And I think that's where we really need to look at data um, like big observational studies, even though, like we were saying, observational studies have their problems. It's a lot more valid though than just looking at what happens within your own business without any benchmarks, any hypotheses, and, and then trying to make decisions from that. But let's, let's try to bring this, distill this down because I think a lot of the listeners of the show are, they're not, you know, maybe, maybe we have a few that work at Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's similar. We have some smaller business owners listening to the show. So like when you're working with a, let's say we're working with a smaller business um, and, you know, a business maybe closer to just doing like a, like a small, like a million dollars in revenue around that range. Um, like what are you, when you're dealing with them, are, are you, have you done like campaigns on social media? Have you helped them to kind of facilitate and optimize like Facebook ad campaigns or, or LinkedIn or these different networks? Have you worked on, on those social media networks? And when you do that, can you talk a little bit about like your methodology for um, tracking tracking like an ad campaign and and then how you would how you would over time you know course correct and can you talk a little bit about that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So when I'm working with smaller businesses, um, usually the and by the way, doing a million dollars in revenue, like <laughs> congratulations to you because that is actually really hard as well. Like we yeah. say small business, but it's like that is a really huge accomplishment. Um, so I, I guess I kind of sit more at the, the higher level of strategy. And um, so I say higher level is in like higher viewpoint and okay. lower, you know, tactical and strategic. So for me, it's more about going like big picture wise, what are you doing to be out in market? So there's a few things, there's a few kind of rules or marketing laws that we have around making sure that, you know, you're, you're always, you know, you're always out in market, you know, you're, you're message is on brand, you know, your salient. So like the pink lab code is kind of like a salient thing, right? You kind of, well, it's branding too. It's branding you. So people will remember it. Yeah. 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 So it's more about, for me, it's more about looking like, okay, so what's going on in terms of how we actually do effective advertising, effective, you know, um, below the line campaigning as well. So things like search and social and organic posting, uh, content marketing, all of those things. Um, 
but it's really more about making sure that, you know, we have frequency of market penetration, you know, so whether, you know, for, for some brands, it makes sense to always be having some sort of advertising out on Facebook, right? It's just like, that's where their audience is. I mean, Facebook is fantastic because you can target people really specifically. Um, so it's like, okay. Not as well as you used to though. <laughs> not as well as you used to. And it, and it, I mean, that's one of the things that like, this is why I kind of work with specialists because I'm like, you're great at Facebook advertising. You dedicate your full-time business into working out what's going on with the algorithm. You know, I don't, I don't want to. Um, yeah, it, it's, it changes all the time. Uh, but I mean, even to the point, like you used to be able to target people if they were homeowners or not, and that's been taken away. You used to be able to target based on how much money people uh, had reported as their net worth. That's been taken away. Yeah. Um, so, or how many credit cards they had opened. Like, so they've already, because of all the content, especially in the U S there's been a lot of uh, controversies this last year or the last couple of years with Facebook and the elections and politics and whatnot. So because of all this, it's kind of resulted in a fear of, or a privacy fears, which are, I think are well founded, but from a marketing standpoint, the more data, the better. So, <laughs> so yeah. well, absolutely. And, and I mean, it goes back to that causation correlation thing. So, um, what, what I say to my clients is I'm like, what we're looking to do as marketers is we're looking to be able to predict behavior. So we're looking at, okay, um, what's, what's, what are the predictors that someone is going to be interested in my brand? Um, preferably now, right now, um, but also potentially down the track as well. So I kind of, I kind of basically use a two prong method and because there's an argument about which one works better. I'm like, actually both of them work. So there's some people that are like, you just have to go really wide. You have to reach as many people as you can. You do sophisticated mass marketing, right? Um, and so you just get your message out to as many people as you can. And therefore by doing that, um, you're going to build your business and build your brand. And then you have the other side, which is like, let's be like laser targeting focused on exactly who we think our audience is and get the right message in front of them at the right time. And I'm like, well, it's, it, it is both. We need to go wide, but we also need to go deep. So the, the deep approach to me is really about going, okay, how do we as quickly as possible go from market penetration as in like people seeing it out on Facebook, people um, seeing a post on LinkedIn, wherever it is, um, how do we get them to go from that to if they're hooked into that message, start putting them down our marketing funnel and turn it into a sales funnel, which then becomes a conversion. Yeah. Then yeah. on the other side, it's like, let's just make sure that people always know about who I am. You know, so it's about building your reputation. So over time, you know, like with your podcast, people know about your podcast because you've been consistently posting and sharing content that's valuable and insightful for a long period of time. Right. So, um, it's sort of like you have to do both of those things. And I think that's where a lot of small businesses are kind of, you know, maybe getting a little bit misguided by people sometimes who are just like, you just need to do Facebook advertising and that's it. You know, there's the cat. I warned you the cat would show up. Hi kitty. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens when I do Zoom. If I'm if I'm recording this just audio, then you know, like we can we can hide the cat. Um, yes, I agree. I agree with you, and and I think those are I think those are great points. That I mean, for most businesses, they need to they need to have some presence going wide and some presence going deep. And part of that too is that you I mean, 
in the beginning, you kind of have to find out who, how to laser target to. And mm-hmm. I think that part of figuring out like who to laser target comes from a wider campaign um, and then narrowing it down from there. Because really, a, a lot of marketing in the beginning is kind of guessing. Uh, I mean, we can do our best educated guess. And like with, with science creating a hypothesis, we're, we're doing our best to create an educated hypothesis. Um, but ultimately, we need to prove it. So ultimately, I might, I might have a, a strong idea of who I think is going to be my target market, like narrowed down to um, you know, the person's sex, their age, their marital status, their favorite magazine, what, whatnot, and get that really, really narrowed down. But it's quite possible that I'm dead wrong and, my, and the results <laughs> might show it. So I, I think that's a, a, another benefit of, of doing both those strategies is that you can actually kind of test and, and you can and compare, you have something to compare it to too. So if I, if I have like my narrow, if I have my narrow focus campaign and my wider one, I have a point of comparison also. So I, ideally the focused ones should be getting stronger results because that's, it's supposed to, I mean, it, it'll be getting, it might be getting less, uh, less results, but more conversions is kind of like ideally because you, you're more laser targeted. Um, but we need that we do need to have a base point too or a baseline to be able to compare it to so if we don't if we're not running other ads that are wider reaching then we we're kind of just shooting throwing stuff out and seeing what sticks i don't know <laughs> it's also like a i think it's a bit of a numbers game and again i'm going to go back to like um what professor byron sharp says about this because it's just it's such a great way to explain it but basically he's like okay so say you've got um a one in 300 chance that the person who is seeing your video on LinkedIn or, you know, whatever it is, you know, you're just talking about something that you think might be relevant to them. So there's a one in 300 chance that they're actually at some point in time going to be like, you know what, Justin's the right person for me. That's, that's, um, that sounds really bad, right? One in 300, but it's like, well, if there's 300 people seeing it, you've, you've got one person that's going to buy, right? But it's also like you've got to think about your competitors as well. So maybe your competitors are in the same situation where it's like, you know, one in 300 chance that, you know, they've seen what I'm talking about. They've remembered, you know, me because I'm salient. I've got some salient branding and at some point in time they're going to purchase. So you're kind of trying to almost like be like, well, I just want to get it from one to two. Instead of a one in 300 chance, what about if it's a two in 300 chance? And what about if for my competitor, instead of a one in 300 chance, it's a half in 300 chance. Yeah. And when you're talking millions, which is what we're talking about in marketing, when you're talking about reaching millions of people, that does stack up, you know, because 300 in comparison to 3 million, there's a, there's a lot of extra zeros on the end of that. Um, (laughs) And so it, it really is like a probability thing. You know, there's, there is a lot of maths and science in marketing. Um, and then there's the creative stuff as well, you know, which is a whole nother ball game. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. And I, I think we've gone, we've gone pretty deep on this, on this subject already, but let's, let's take a step back here and let's talk about like you starting your own business, you taking the leap, leaving the, you know, the neuroscience field and deciding that you're going to go in and become the business scientist. And so when you got started, uh, I want to hear a little bit about like your origin story here. You know, we have our, our comic book heroes here in America with the Avengers and whatnot, <laughs> but I want to, I want to hear about your, uh, your origin story a bit. And like in the beginning when you like, how did, you know, how did you go about like finding your first client? Like, I'd like to hear those kind of stories. Like what, what did it take to find your first client? Um, and when you like, like what have you found over time has been 
some of the most successful practices in your business? Like, has it been, you know, podcasting, producing content or what kind of content? I just want to hear a little bit about that because I think I find that kind of stuff really fascinating. And, you know, we, our interview times are short, so I can't, you know, we can't go deep, too deep into every subject. And if anyone wants to hear more about that, obviously we'll have your contact information available to the, uh, for them here. But tell me a little bit about like uh, the you know Lauren Lauren Cress's origin story. Like, mm, yeah. So I guess so. I worked like I said. I was working in sort of like media communications, doing project management, working with really big brands as well. Um, and I got to like twenty five, twenty six, and um, one of the guys I was working with actually at the time was like, "Hey, like." you know, we're getting really great results for these clients. Like we're basically running the projects ourselves. Like, do you want to like leave and, <laughs> and kind of go do our own <laughs> thing? Right? Um, and then I was like, yeah, okay. Like that sounds good. Um, I am, I no longer have a co-founder. So we, um, we split last yeah, the beginning of last year. Um, and how we got our first client. Well, like, I guess a lot of it was actually through just our network. You know, so I'm fortunate enough where I kind of know a bunch of people who needed help. And at my business, actually, like the, the company I worked at, we had a whole bunch of people leave just before I left. And so all these people had seen me working for the last couple of years and they were like, oh, hey, like, I think Lauren's gone off and done something. Like, let's contact her and see how, you know, we could maybe work together. And so I actually basically... I uh, just started kind of talking to all the people who I used to work with and yeah. they're like, Oh, Hey, I either knew someone that needed help or they needed help themselves. And so I really, in the first couple of years, it was not about having heaps of clients. It was just about having a few solid big clients. Um, and that worked for a while. Um, and then when I split up with my business partner, I kind of wanted to rethink, you know what, like what, why am I here? Because like I kind of had created a bit of a rod for my own back, you know, which I think so many of us do when we start a business. And um, I, I was like, I actually don't like the work I'm doing. You know, I was I, again, like working with big brands, like well-known brands in Australia, like Telstra and Bauer Media and things like that. Um, but I was like, I actually, I don't really care about what I'm doing. I don't look forward to it. Um, and yeah, that was kind of a really big turning point, for, a really scary big turning point for me. Well, being a like, you have the freedom to change things too, though, which is nice. <laughs> well, it was, it was nice, but I kind of had, um, tax debt. I had, uh, you know, like, cause my business partner left, like I had all this stuff that I had to pay off myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I shouldn't say left, like we, we split, um, and, and so I was kind of like, all right, like I'm going to have to really, you know, invest money into this now where before, when I started, it was like foundation clients were my save money. Now it was like, no, I'm actually going to have to put money into the business. I'm going to have to stop earning money. And I'm really going to focus on just making this what I want it to be. Um, and so that's when I started really looking at like what I value, like science. So how many years um, have you been doing it at this point? Like, so when you, when you split with your partner and, um, how many years have you been kind of running your own, your own company uh, at that point? Oh, like a year and a half. So not okay, that so it wasn't that long. So about a year and a half and then you had a big transition. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get clarity on how long this had, how long you've been doing it. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And then I basically went, okay. Um, yeah. Like what, what's, you know, what's true for me? Um, spent a bit of time working with a business coach as well. And just, I mean, that was, you know, the biggest thing for me with 
um, this last kind of year and a half has been being uh, really just doing what I love to do, you know, and to be honest, that's why I do my podcast. Like it's not because I'm like, oh, like it's going to be a lead generator for me. It's actually just me being me. You know, I, I don't know if you kind of find a similar thing. Well, I, I definitely do. Uh, I mean, the podcast is fun. <laughs> I, I love the podcast. So, I, and I'll probably, I, I, I'm probably going to start another podcast in the, in the near future here um, to have like different, you know, to have di- even different subjects to talk about because it, it's, uh, it's so much fun for me. It doesn't feel like work. Like doing the podcast doesn't feel like work. Uh, we've already generated some money from it. You know, we're not, we're not making a living off of our podcast right now. But, um, you know, we're bringing in hundreds, hundreds of dollars, not thousands of dollars a month in ad revenue <laughs> and things like that. And I mean, and plus, you know, we're, plus we're getting leads from it and things like that. Just think, just like uh, side benefits of having, you know, having your voice out there and producing content. So um, I don't know. I, I just found it the most, out of all the different modes of communication out there, podcasting is the one I'm like most connected to right now. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's also one where I think there's an opportunity. So you have YouTube, there's, I just had a conversation with somebody about this and I think, uh, and I was watching, there's a, I think it was Pat Flynn, who's, uh, he's a podcaster here in the U S that I think he said, I think he's the one that put these numbers out there, but he was saying this, there's over 500 million YouTube channels right now. There's over 500 million blogs right now, but there's less than a million podcasts. Um, so there's like, there's an opportunity to get in right now on, on a medium that's growing very fast that in a lot of ways is probably like YouTube in like 2007. So, um, you know, so there's, there's a, there's a big, there's a big chance to, to grab this. So this is, yeah, I've been moving in the last year. I've been moving like all in on podcasting. So (laughs) I love it. I I love it too. And, you know, I guess this is kind of what I say to people. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm just about to launch like a, a sort of five day challenge. It's like a free five day challenge for, people who just want to get sort of like a better handle on what their strengths are and, you know, how to kind of build a strategy and do project management. And um, one of the things that I've kind of been saying in like the videos I've been doing to promote it is I'm like, like just play to your strengths. Like that's the biggest thing. So for me, as you can probably tell, like I love talking, like I <laughs> love it. I could do it all day. And so it's hard to be an entrepreneur in a home office you know, uh, working remotely with clients and, uh, you know, occasionally going on site to make clients. I'm like, that's really hard for me because I'm a natural extrovert. So I'm like, podcasting kills so many like birds at the same time for me. So I'm like, one, it's like just an awesome way to meet people from around the world. Like I've been so privileged and I see that you have too. And like just having these awesome guests come on the show to talk to you. Right. Mm. Um, I'm like two. It actually it's easy to you can attract like you know um, on this show we had John Lee Dumas last week and you know he's he's doing over a hundred grand a month in in revenue for his business so I mean like people like that having them on the show it's uh, it's something that I wouldn't have been able to I wouldn't be able to connect with him and have a conversation like that unless I had the medium of the podcast. Yeah. So it's like, it opens doors. Yeah. It, it really does. It really does. And you know, if you want to do public speaking and stuff, I mean, I could talk about that a lot, but I just think, um, you know, my, my point was more about like, just like for me turning around in my business and going, what do I love? What am I good at? What's going to make me look forward to waking up every day? That was a huge t- turning point for me. And so then it became like, how do I attract clients who get that? How do I attract the clients who, 
resonate with that, not just how do I get any clients through my door. And um, that would be like, that's sort of like, I guess my big sort of like transformation journey in this whole kind of business, you know, talking about origin stories, like kind of being like, oh, right, you know, I need to pick myself back up and I need to deal with this really challenging situation of being like, don't have a lot of money right now, but I really don't want to keep doing this work that I don't enjoy. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought that up though, because, um, yeah, I, I found myself like, you know, uh, a victim of my own doing sometimes or my own system that I created for myself. <laughs> uh, because some of the things that I do, like I'm very, I'm pretty talented as far as like writing sales copy and things like that, but I don't always love to do it. Sometimes it's a, like a big burden on me to have to do it, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it. So yeah. it's something that comes natural to me. Um, so I, I, I tend to get a lot of work doing that, but sometimes I just overwhelm myself and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to do this. And so I, I, in that capacity, I relate. And whereas like when I'm doing the podcast, I get to sit here and record and like, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like super stressed out or anything. Um, and I don't have, and I'm I'm sure you're this way, but not everybody is, but I, I can pick up a microphone and record a podcast episode and I don't need to spend hours prepping for it. Like some people, uh, some people have that where they need to do that. I don't. So I'm able to kind of do this quickly turn it into content relatively quickly and, and then, uh, and make it work. And plus, uh, I think, I think of everything in business in, in terms of like long-term. So I, I think that too many business owners out there are short-term mentality and, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's a big proponent of this line of thinking and it's uh, the line of thinking that you should be thinking long-term that is. Um, but it's so like producing content like this and not, and not even worrying about like how much money I'm making right now, but knowing that if I just keep doing this and moving forward and moving forward and moving forward and I outwork the competition and I, and I keep producing quality content and I let my audience grow naturally over time that in the long run, that's going to win. And that's the kind of philosophy that I've adopted. Um, and I've seen, and I've seen, I see, you know, I see it working. So, and like, like you, I started my business kind of relying on a few big clients and that was like, okay, I float myself by having these big clients, but like, this is not sustainable. (laughs) If, uh, if big client number one leaves me tomorrow, I don't, do I still have a business? (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, that's, uh, I mean, it's nice because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm freelance. I'm working for myself. Um, and then one of the other things that I discovered recently is just, I'm just kind of talking right now, but, uh, is like when I, I became a, a Fiverr pro and, you know, Fiverr, they have their, their freelance website here. And I think they, I think it's in, uh, well, they're definitely in Australia. I've had Australian clients. Um, but the power of authority and perceptual authority, because like on Fiverr, anybody can start an account and be a freelancer on Fiverr, but they're probably going to have a tough time finding clients and getting attention. The moment that I got anointed pro <laughs> on Fiverr, uh, I had tons of leads coming to me and tons of people just instantly look at me in a different light. And it's just, and, and nothing changed. I didn't change the way my bio read. I didn't change the way anything read. I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like I deserved the title. I'm not saying that, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's just powerful to see like, if you can, and that's, it's all marketing, really. It's, it's, if you can, if you can use marketing to anoint yourself with a title of authority and people buy into it, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing at how quickly things can turn around for a business. So that's just an observation I've made recently. So. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's one of the, um, 
cognitive biases. So I was talking about this with a um, guy over in the States who interviewed me actually, Christopher Kai, who's in Miami. And he was like, he gave me some great, great advice. He was like, Lauren, like the biggest, he goes, go watch this YouTube video. It's on like, you know, 101 cognitive biases. And, um, and I, like, you know, I'd learn about it, but, you know, you forget that uh, like there's a lot of cognitive bias, it's hard to remember them. And we were talking about like that trust by association. And as soon as you have, you know, so on my LinkedIn profile, I changed it. So it's like I spoke at my um, alma mater, so my university, which is a really well-known university in Australia, UNSW. Um, and I had a photo of me speaking with the logo behind them, me with a microphone. As soon as I changed it and I started saying, people, can we have a chat about being on my podcast? It was like, yes, every time, you know, because <laughs> it's this trust by association. Oh, okay. Like you spoke at one of our most prestigious universities in the country. Like you, I spoke for, you know, a few minutes. It wasn't like I was, you know, doing this massive big talk, but it's that two seconds of like, I trust you now. You've got credibility. I'm willing to have a conversation. That's what branding is all yeah. about. But to that end, I mean, this is, I just have to bring this up because this is not what you did. And I'm not saying that, but I, I there's also the side that you could pay. And, and I know lots of people that do this, that pay <laughs> bucks to go speak at like Harvard. Like they, there are, I, I know somebody that sells this. You could pay 10 grand. I can go speak at Harvard. I can go speak at NASDAQ. I can have, and I can go get my picture taken. I have a video taken of me speaking at those major prestigious areas. And the perception I mean, perception is reality in marketing, really. I mean, and you know, I, I don't like to. I don't like to necessarily. I think you are on a, in a gray area of ethics when you when you're doing this kind of thing. But but also, if you're if you're good at what you do, sometimes you kind of have to do this kind of stuff and play the games to to get uh, to get into the good graces and and then and then you, and break through. And so I, I'm a little. I question it a little bit, but it's uh, it's just, it just goes to show again, though, that the people, that's why they, you could charge somebody that much money to go speak on a stage like that too, because there's so much value in it. There's so much value. And, and because of the cognitive biases that somebody, somebody sees like, oh, you spoke at, uh, at NASDAQ, most people aren't going to ask like how that happened. And they may not even necessarily care how it happened. And it doesn't necessarily even matter how it happened. But um, it's just, but it, all of a sudden you're seen as like a whole different person. Even, even when I go to like, let's say I go to a local networking group or I go to a seminar, um, if it's an event where I'm going to speak later in the day, like when I go to that event in the morning where I haven't spoken yet, I haven't been on stage, I'm treated very, very differently than after I'm on stage and people have seen me on stage and then they talk to me afterwards. It's like that, that too. So it's, it's amazing like how just the way you position yourself in the eyes of others, like how much of an impact that has. So that's, that's also an experience I've had is like I'm, I, the, the treatment at these events from me pre being on stage to me post being on stage, <laughs> like how it's different. So. Oh, like it's, it's, it is really interesting actually. Like there's even studies that show, and I can't remember who wrote, who did this research. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but like where it's like, you know, um, people perceive someone on stage as being taller than they are. Well, you I'm know, super so, so then I must be really tall. Yeah, you'd be even taller, right? Like, it, it's <laughs> like if they, people are asked to, you know, just have an estimate, people guess, like, consistently guess higher if you've been on, if they've seen you on stage. And um, that's not because the stage is higher. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, like, I think uh, with the ethics thing, like, I'm a really big fan of Seth Godin, and I think that um, what the, What's really important, because there are a lot of gray areas, and I think the biggest thing I would say and the biggest rule that I've followed for myself is like, just don't compromise your own integrity. Like if it's at that icky point where you actually feel like I feel 
crappy doing this and this doesn't feel right to me, like work through that. And if you still kind of feel like that, don't do it because your integrity is worth so much more. And yeah, you might make, you know, a bit more money a bit faster, but if it's at the point where you actually feel like, oh, this is not me, like it's going to bug you more than anyone else. Ultimately, you're going to be taking yourself with you anywhere you go. So, and you're going to have to look at yourself (laughs) in the mirror. So yeah, I agree with you. If it's, if it's something that you're doing that is, is causing like an internal conflict, then it's not worth it because like, you know, even like, yeah, like you said, you might have a short-term gain from it, but the long-term damage to your own self-confidence and self-esteem could cost you millions or, you know, hundreds of times more money by, uh, by allowing that, you know, to, to happen. Well, and it's also just understanding, you know, why you feel like that as well. Because I think sometimes, you know, like I I really think, you know, like so the imposter syndrome, it's estimated that like 70% of us will experience the imposter syndrome at some point. So it could (laughs) also be like there's this inner conflict that you work through and you go, actually, you know, I I was holding myself back. I had limiting beliefs, you know. So for me, I was like, I had this real thing about like writing a book. Like, no, I can't write a book because I didn't do a PhD. And it's like, a lot of people be like, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you, you know, I can't call myself a scientist because I didn't do a PhD. That was, they were big hangups to me. And then yeah. I had to really look at that and be like, is this a me thing? Or is this like, you know, like, is it my problem? Does anyone else care about this? What's going on? And as I kind of worked through it, I was like, oh, I actually really don't have an issue with this. This is just something that was put on me by, you know, the university institution, like kind of going, you have to do a PhD because they have vested interest in you doing that as well, right? So, yes, ethical dilemma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, writing a book, like there aren't, almost everybody that writes a book in the US doesn't have a PhD. So (laughs) that that one's not as much, but calling yourself a scientist, I can understand that because, yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess technically you could call, I could call myself a scientist. I never do, but <laughs> technically I could, I do have a bachelor of science degree. I mean, that's gotta be one of the prerequisites of being able to do so. So, yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. but yeah, but, but, uh, but hundred percent, the, the, the imposter syndrome is very real. I, I've interviewed several people on this show even, and we've talked about like when they were young and they got big opportunities on stage, like what did that feel like when you suddenly are, you know, catapulted from being, you know, like a 24 year old kid into speaking in front of this like fortune 500, like company or a fortune 500, a bunch of fortune 500 company executives or something like that. Like these stages of like high, high level people. And almost, you know, I'd say universally, the answer is always that I felt like an imposter. I did not belong there. And, And ultimately, and that's where I think like the whole thing about faking until you make it comes in. And for a lot of people, that's, I think that still holds some, some relevance, especially in, in the corporate world. Um, but it's a little bit different in the online marketing world because we now can, we have different modes of communication, things like that. So. Absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, the way I kind of, I heard a really great thing um, for, at a talk that I went to about just like kind of asking, you know, asking yourself what's holding you back. And, and one of the things that really resonated with me was like, I kept saying to myself, like, I'm not enough. And when I revisited that and I'm like, why am I saying that to myself? Um, it really started to reframe things where now I'm at a point where I'm like, you know, I, I talk to people who are really famous, who are like way bigger than I'll ever be or really want to be. And I don't feel like I'm like, we're two people having a conversation. Like that's it, you know? And, and that's actually what I love about America too, is I love that in the States, it's like, really is the land of opportunity where it's like, no one's better than you. Like, 
we're all we're all people um and and that's kind of it you know we're we are equal because we're both human beings. It took me a while to get to that point. Cause I, you know, when I talk to big personalities or people that are well-known at first, I used to have that starstruck thing, like pretty heavy. (laughs) 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 I had trouble talking to them. Um, but yeah, over time, I mean, you do, you get to realize that everybody is just themselves. I mean, we're all just people. We're all kind of going through the same human experience and, uh, and for the most part, most people are pretty open to have a conversation like that. And, and I mean, there are exceptions of people that maybe their egos got a little too carried away. But for the most part, people are approachable and um, willing to have conversations and sometimes even be on your podcast. And <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so we're, we're kind of hitting the, uh, the end of the interview here. So why don't you um, tell our listeners a little bit about how they can get in contact with you uh, what you can offer them and uh, yeah, let's go from there. So go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So um, LinkedIn is like my like favorite platform. I just get it. So <laughs> if you want to reach out to me, reach out to me on LinkedIn, just look up Lauren Crest, which is with a K, um, not with a C. Uh, and you'll find me, I literally add everyone. I don't really have like some sort of, Oh, we have to have a chat first. So just connect with me and we can talk. <laughs> me too, um, it's it's so good right i i do have a facebook page which is very slowly growing um again just um facebook.com slash lauren crest consulting and um and then yeah like i said i'm launching this five-day challenge at the end of may um so that's for kind of i guess people who feel like they're getting quite stuck in their business to just kind of go look let's spend five days really getting clarity and direction for you um that'll all be on my facebook page info for that Um, And the other free thing that I have is I've just put together a industry 4.0 business diagnostic. So um, one thing that I'm seeing a lot, um, you know, digital transformation has been like a big buzzword that's resurfaced. So it was big a few years ago. Now it's like, oh no, we have to transform again. Um, And so I put together this tool to kind of help uh, businesses of any size really start to look at where are the gaps in our business, just starting to dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, and then from there, yeah, I'm happy to have like a, you know, a free kind of conversation to just go, look, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? Where are the gaps? And just sort of point businesses in the right direction. So that every, every like five years or so, we all have to have digital transformations and <laughs> it just made me laugh. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, okay. So the, tell me, um, okay. So where, where do they get the, uh, the four point, um, where do they get that? Oh yeah. On my website. Sorry, Justin. So it's, um, www.thechangemakers.org.au. Okay, so um, www.thechangemakers.org.au because you're in Australia. So, okay. We're in Australia and we're weird and we always put the .au at the end. Of it. <laughs> well, you have <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's also on my LinkedIn. So, like, basically, LinkedIn's great because it's got like everything in one place and then, you know, you can find whatever you need. Now, uh, and for the five day challenge, What's the best way? So I know you mentioned it'd be on the Facebook page can, or can they just message you on LinkedIn too to, to find absolutely. out more about that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. And then you are uh, on, on LinkedIn, you're Lauren Crest, the change maker with the pink jacket. <laughs> Do you have the pink I jacket? Have, LinkedIn photo? I, don't have the, I, I need to get a shot with me speaking on stage in this pink love coat. Um, haven't got one yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. You got it. That'd be definitely for the personal brand. You got to, you got to work that in there. So <laughs> that's funny though. I also love LinkedIn. That's funny. We have a lot in, we have a lot of, uh, in common, a lot of this marketing stuff. So <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and we might even be able to bring you back again when Andros is back in action here and have, a, uh, and have our full normal, uh, kind of, uh, kind of marketing episode. But I think you, there's so much to, to learn from you. And I, I, it seems like, it seems like you are a wealth of information. So it's been a, it's been a pleasure having you on. So thank you so much. Oh, Justin, thank you so much as well. It's been so much fun. Love speaking with you and absolutely would love to come back. And likewise, I think we'll have to get you back on my show as well. (laughs) (laughs) My thanks to fellow neuroscientist Lauren Kress and her awesome story there. Uh, I say fellow neuroscientist lightly. Um, You know, I did graduate with a bachelor of science degree in biopsychology from UC Santa Barbara. I'm a a gaucho. That's right. Go gauchos. Uh, but uh, she graduated with honors, and I uh, I did not. So uh, she probably she's probably more educated than me. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe I maybe I'm smarter than to give myself credit for. You never know. Um, a brief mention though, I did appear on Lauren's podcast, The Oyster, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for any of you that want to hear my interview with her with uh, with her running the show. Um, but we had a lot of fun talking there. That's when I first discovered actually that we had that commonality of uh, both studying biopsychology, neuroscience, whatever you want to call it. And then I was reading, uh, ask by Ryan Levesque this week. And, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that book at all, but Ryan Levesque is a, another well-known marketing guy. He, he wrote ask was a bestseller. He just came out with a new book called choose. Uh, we're hoping to get him on the show, uh, to, to interview him as well. But uh, he also has a background in neuroscience. He, he studied at Brown. And so I'm definitely going to be asking him questions about that if and when he comes on our show. Um, but just funny how uh, apparently if you study neuroscience, you end up being a marketer because we just are us neuroscientists. We just see the brain as we see the weaknesses and we exploit them <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> uh, half serious, half serious. Anyway, um, that was a great interview. And uh, I want to do a little bit of geek news and a little bit of business news this week. And then we'll just go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, But I want to keep you guys in the know what's going on in business. So this week, uh, number one, as I record this, Uber just launched their IPO this week. They launched it today, actually, I believe. Uh, And they uh, a lot of hype around the Uber IPO. I think some of it got diminished by the failure or the less than stellar performance of Lyft, which, uh, which filed their IPO first. Uh, but Uber opened up and they closed down 7.6% on the first day of trading. Uh, however, they were able to raise $8.1 billion in their IPO, uh, which puts the company at a value of $82.4 billion. What a bargain. Uh, I, I'm bullish on Uber, regardless of them dropping 7.6% on day one. I think that they have a ton of potential. I think they still corner the ride-sharing market stronger than anyone else. And um, with the advent of self-driving cars and self-driving technology just around the corner, uh, who knows uh, like what, how far this can go. So uh, I, I'm bullish on them. Um, I, t- I would say take that with a grain of salt. My, ask Andres about my, my stock trading investment history, and he will tell you that it is less than stellar. So uh, even though I, I, I'm bullish here, um, you can almost assure that this stock will now fail miserably because I said that out loud. So keep that keep that in mind before you dump all your savings uh, into Uber. <laughs> Other news: um, Facebook's co-founder, so a Facebook co-founder came out and said that it's time to break up the company because Mark Zuckerberg, good old Marky Z, he's got too much power, 
And it's time to diminish that. So this was a co-founder, Chris Hughes. And I'm not as familiar with what his role was in the beginning. I mean, apparently he was one of the founders. So I don't know if he was an investor or whatnot. I probably should have found out before reporting on it, but I didn't. So you'll have to look that up yourself. He wasn't he wasn't the uh, the guy that loaned the money from the movie. I don't know if Chris Hughes was even in the movie, the, the social network movie. And if he was, who played him? If you're listening to the show, be sure to write at info at marketinggeekspodcast.com and let me know who played Chris Hughes in the movie because I don't even think he was in the movie. Uh, anyway, so they are talking about breaking them up. So Chris says that they should break up the acquisitions of Facebook. So Facebook owns Instagram, they own WhatsApp, and they own Facebook, obviously. Uh, so he says that they should break up the acquisitions of WhatsApp and Instagram and split them off into separate companies to diminish the power central hub, the monopoly that is or isn't right there. So I, I'm a little bit split on this. I, I can see arguments going both ways. I'm not going to get into it right now. Uh, if Andrich were here, we might debate it, but he's not. So I'm not going to debate whether or not I think that Facebook needs to be regulated or broken up at this time because debating with myself just isn't as interesting. So uh, those are my two news topics of the week. And now I want to talk a little bit about geek news because geek news is the cornerstone of the show. And uh, a couple things, uh, a couple things in geek news land. Uh, first of all, Avengers Infinity War or Avengers uh, Endgame did come out. I saw it. Andre still hasn't seen it because of events going on with uh, with him. And again, he's going to talk about some of those um, next week. We're going to have a we're going to have a fireside sit down where Andres is going to tell you what's going on in his story. It's actually going to be a fun interview. Um, and there's some interesting some interesting things. Uh, and the third thing that he's going to mention is going to absolutely shock you. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. I, I had to sit down. I was standing, and I had to sit down uh, right before hearing it because I would have fainted. But I'm still alive. That's all that matters. Uh, but this week in Geek News, we have John Wick Chapter Three is on the horizon. Early reviews, early buzz are coming in, and the buzz is very positive. The buzz is very positive. So. I don't know if you've seen any of the John Wick movies. I won't give away much here, but I'm going to say that the John Wick movies go from like the scale of the movies is getting bigger per movie. And my fear was that by the time they get to the third movie, the scale of this movie is going to be massive. I mean, it's going to be like the, you know, Infinity War status or Endgame status massive. And, uh, I, you know, I always worry that studios won't, studios won't be able to pull that off, but apparently I'm wrong this year. So apparently the studios are able to pull this off now. And the early buzz on John Wick 3 is that it may even be the best in the series. I will be there. I don't know if I'll be there opening night, but I will be there to see it. I'm excited for it. Fun stuff coming with that. Uh, Detective Pikachu dropped this week. I have no idea what to tell you about that, except it's Ryan Reynolds playing like a PG version of Deadpool voicing Pikachu, which makes weird sense to me, but what not? You know, cool. Might be good. Uh, DC of DC Comics is uh, launching a Swamp Thing TV show on their DC streaming service. That's right. They have a DC streaming service um, and it's a, uh, it's got like, I think it has six subscribers. So Marketing Geeks is, has one more subscriber than the DC service. It's pretty close. We're neck and neck. We're battling for that, you know, seventh or eighth subscriber constantly. Uh, but they're going to be releasing a show called Swamp Thing, you know, based on the classic, uh, I don't know what era that was, like 70s or 80s Swamp Thing TV show in the comic books. Uh, but they released the first image. And I will tell you that um, he looks like he's got like lettuce all over his face. Like he's got like a nice veiny slice of lettuce making up his swamp thing face or i think it's a guy maybe it's a girl i don't even know the story of swamp thing really i just remember the show it must have been the 80s because i remember they had reruns on it when i was a kid 
Um, so, I mean, for those of you that love Swamp Thing and love DC Comics, which is probably none of you, there you go. Giving you the updates because where else are you going to get those updates? Uh, other news, we got uh, early reactions to Godzilla King of Monsters. That's a movie that I could probably care less about because it's you get into these things are like just like CG monster movies that have no plot. And that kind of uh, I'm more of like the grounded psychological thriller kind of guy than the um, give me like or or the Fast and the Furious guy that just like blow stuff up and tell one liners. You know, Schwarzenegger could do that in the 80s. I have not seen anybody replicate it quite to that status, not even Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So that's my take on it. You can you can disagree with me there. I am open for debates. But uh, in geek news, that's really all I got. I mean, we're not going to do, we're not going to go crazy with geek news, not going crazy with business news. So this week is a short and sweet episode. We had Lauren on. We had this amazing interview and I'm not going to ruin it like we ruined all our other interviews by just going off on weird tangents because I don't have my co-host to let me go off on these crazy tangents and like, and not reel me back in. I need him. I need him to keep me going on weird tangents. And with that, another fine edition of the Marketing Geeks podcast with just your host, Justin Womack this week, but... I somewhat pulled it off. Not really, but, you know, I try. I do what I can here at Marketing Geeks. Uh, but next week, remember, Andros will be returning. Andros Sturgeon will return with his story of what's going on. He's going to break down exactly uh, the craziness uh, in his life recently. And it, it's actually it's quite an interesting interview. We've already recorded it. We had a sit-down sit fireside chat in an RV. <laughs> and it's going to be it's quite a story. I think you're going to love it. Um, uh, other things coming uh, we just booked uh, basically just booked Ryan Levesque for an episode coming up in the future the author of Choose and Ask so uh, stay tuned for that that might be a month or so off but it's going to be an awesome interview and we are continuing to upscale the level of our guests the level of our entertainment the level of our show so for all of you out there that do love the Marketing Geeks podcast we appreciate you we love you remember to rate subscribe review the show and share it with 10,000 of your closest friends and from all of us at Marketing Geeks we love you but most importantly of all stay classy